Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. More and more, especially in New York City, it's becoming quite uncommon to find a politician with any common sense. But today, I'm going to speak to one who has some common sense. Councilman Robert Carnegie from the 36th District representing Bedford-Stuyvesant and Crown Heights. And besides his abundance of common sense, Councilman Carnegie is listed in the Guinness Book of Records as one of the tallest politicians in the whole wide world. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks, uh, as I said, he's Councilman Robert Carnegie from the 36th District. But more importantly, I'd like to introduce him as the man who is going to be the next borough president of Brooklyn, Mr. Robert E. Carnegie Jr., to be exact. Welcome, Councilman. Thanks, Russ. And that's, uh, as they say in, in my neighborhood, that's from your mouth to God's ears. Let's hope so, my brother. Let, let, let's hope so. Well, you, you know what? Uh, the last time we spoke, I guess it was quite a few months ago, I was sitting in for Bernie and Sid. We had you on. We were talking about the education and gifted and talented and program in the specialized schools. And I thought you made a whole lot of common sense. So I wanted to talk to you about a, a, a bunch of things. But uh, unfortunately, I, I will say, as it turns out, I didn't know when I was trying to get a hold of you last week, we were going to have that ugly, ugly, disgusting situation where a poor girl was stomped by what I call a mob of kids who acted like animals. And unfortunately, it happened in your neck of the woods. So uh, l- let me start off by asking your thoughts on that whole ugly situation. Listen, that was one of the worst things I've ever witnessed. Um, but I will say that I've met with several parents, one of which who actually turned her son in. So the community is so outraged, even the family and parents of the perpetrators of this crime, that we're seeing something that's really unprecedented, where the community is getting involved, calling the police department where they recognize these young folks um, and turning them in. So the, the, the only the only, I guess, light in this is one. Um, she is 
is, is getting much better. She doesn't have any irreparable damage. Um, she's home from the hospital, the young lady who was attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and those young men are going to be brought to justice. Five have already been arrested. Um, there's 18 of interest uh, uh, altogether, and the community's calling. The, the phones are ringing off the hooks down at the, at, the, at the police department where people are making calls. Yeah, I, I also noticed not only, uh, you know, five were turned, turned themselves in with their parents, and I'll get to that one mother in particular, but uh, over the weekend, there were more, I think there were five more on Saturday, and I think three more on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yes, yes. The numbers are increasing, and this community is not going to stop until every single person who is responsible for that um, atrocity is brought to justice. But that's also in a highlight of remembering that these are also teenagers, so ranging from 13 uh, to 17. Um, So while it is important to make them accountable, we have to remember that those are kids too. So I'm I'm in an awkward position where I, as a parent, of four boys and two girls was responsible for having a lecture in my own household about the correct way to conduct yourself, the, the manner in which you, you deal with females and males and and um, all of this. So, so the community also can use this as a very, very teaching moment as it relates to the way that our young people should be, be behaving in society. Yeah, you know, uh, when I read the comments from, and the, and the, the mother's name was Donna Howell, um, to quote her, I, I wrote it down. I wanted to kill him with my bare hands. Absolutely. I, I, when I looked at that, I actually got choked up because, you know, uh, I'm a little older than you, but I think we come from the same kind of background. When I say background, I mean, you you got in trouble with something like that. For lack of a better term, you got home, you got an ass whooping. I mean, that's I, not, I, not, not, not for lack of a better term. That is the correct term. Yeah. And, and hearing from her tell me to my face that he, this was an embarrassment and a scourge on their family and that he was not raised to do that. That's the era that I come from where a parent would say that, listen, I, I bust my behind to make sure that you can have a decent life. There's no way you're going to go embarrass this family's name by doing crap like that. No, and um, I'll tell you what disturbed me, Robert. Maybe you can enlighten myself and 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 the listeners to this podcast. You know, the incident happened last Thursday. A girl walking by and uh, a gang jumps her and, and, you know, beats her, takes her sneakers, takes her cell phone. But what what really got me, I looked at it several times and then I looked at it. I'm looking at it now, the pictures in the papers. These kids were all well-dressed, you know, nice-looking Kids right. with with, right. with backpack, you know, they, you know what I'm talking about. They weren't yeah, yeah, look, yeah. they didn't look like street thugs. Absolutely, they didn't well, have their 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 pants down to their ass. You, right. you know, they they were nice looking kids. Re, re, the reality is, those kids were coming from school. But so so a little bit of background though. Those kids had flash mobs on Monday, and a thousand kids had shown up to that same area and kind of terrorized in some way the business owners. And basically had the community uh, in, an up, in an upheaval by them showing up that way. So this is this is almost that old adage of, you know, uh, life imitating art, where they had taken social media, used it to, to generate, you know, get everybody to one area, but for no particular purpose as, as, it, as it can be seen, 
But once that happened, the mob mentality kind of took over. What people don't know is two blocks adjacent, two blocks over adjacent to that very scene, prior to that, another young man coming from um, high school right nearby had been robbed and stabbed <laughs> and has recently been released from Kings County Hospital. I spoke to the principal of that school. That school is up in arms and it's not getting as much um, uh, attention because it wasn't filmed, but there seems to be a little bit of a pattern with these young people right now. And wh- why do you think that pattern, wh- wh- why is that, Robert? I'm, I'm not sure, and, and I do also want to report that I got a call last night that um, a group of young men in Green Boy Houses, which is a, a, a development very close to my office and my area in Bedford-Stuyvesant, another woman, a little bit older, I think she's like 25 or 26, was robbed for her cell phone, her sneakers, and, and assaulted, and is not in great condition. Mm. So what we, hope we're, what we hope we're not seeing is something leading into the warmer months that's indicative of, you know, some widespread behaviors. You know, one time it's an incident, two times it's a pattern, and then after that, obviously the police get very, very concerned, and so does the community. Yeah, I, I really, it, it knocked me over w- when I saw that, but, you know, it, it's a situation, l- listen, you're looking to become Brooklyn Borough President, and I hope to hell, like you said before, from my mouth to God's ears, it happens, and and I say that because I think from just people hearing your voice, you're a guy with common sense, you, you, you're no BS, but your hands are full, you're dealing with communities uh, in particular, your community, you have this situation. You also have, you know, Orthodox Jews living in your community and the anti-Semitism. Uh, I- I'll tell you what, I've been around for a long time. I went to Brooklyn Tech. Uh, I had friends from Bed-Stuy. I had friends from Harlem because the school was centrally located from Fort Greene. You know, we traveled from all over. I've never seen the anti-Semitism as bad as it is, and unfortunately, in your neighborhood or area, I'll say a lot of the, the a lot of the anti-Semitism has been black anti-Semitism. Yes, this is a, this is a, first of all, I got to state, and I should have stated at the top of the show that I believe now and have believed forever that violence, overall violence, gun violence, night violence, domestic violence, is a public health issue, and until we began to identify it as such. The resources that are necessary will never be brought to bear. For example, when in the 20s and and 30s, when poverty was deemed as a public health issue, then you got the resources from the federal government that helped, you know, created settlement houses, created an environment where you could attack all of the components of poverty. We got to do the same thing about violence. So the level of violence that we're seeing, whether it's through television or whether it's through the, the internet and or uh, social media, um, it's escalated. I've asked adults in our age range, would they want to be 15 or 16 today? And it's a resounding no because of all of the outside influences. So no, there's no excuses, but is that type that is going to take that level of intervention to turn the tide on violence of all kinds. Yeah, you, you know, you just said a mouthful because I, I'm one of those guys. I never wanted to be one of those old farts that says, 
Hey, in my day, and we've all right. we've all heard this. In my right. day, it was much better. You know, we heard it from the pop parents. We heard it. I wouldn't say from the grandparents, but uh, now, like I'm actually saying, you know, with this social media. Listen, I got kids. I got three little grandsons, five, four, and two. And I say to myself, what the hell's it going to be? You know, like like the social media tough guys. If I was pissed off at you, you know, I can come to you. Well, not the fact that you're six ten and five. I'm five seven, so I don't know. I would have said that, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, okay, right. let let's settle it. Not going on a social media and 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 beating up people. You know, with your words. You you know, being a punk. Everybody's a tough guy on social media or a tough that's, gal. That, so that's the funny thing. Like, there's this new phenomenon that is taking hold which is the use of, which is what they call in like cyberbullying. But it's way more, it's way worse and more intense because by the time you actually see a person face-to-face, you've escalated this with your words. By the time we saw a person face-to-face, you know, if there was, there was a butterflies in both people's stomachs. It was like there was a, a huge, right now you can say the most outlandish, outrageous things about people, about their families, about the way they dress, and... We go from zero to a thousand in such a short period of time, and it solicits for other people's participation in it. So you're not just showing up with with you and your older brother. You're showing up with a thousand kids in some instances based on a remark that was made on social media. So this is I don't even know how to how to really um, 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 deal with this level of of the social media intervention. That's involved, and thank God the, the the NYPD has a whole unit that's designed to monitor the social media actions of particular demographics. And because of that, believe it or not, I, I talk to the police department all the time. There are there aren't more incidences that are similar to this. Yeah, I, 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 listen, um, I I know your Brooklyn Borough President. Uh, Eric Adams, who's been on with me a good few times, uh, you know, he, he's tried to quell the, the problem with anti-Semitism, uh, you know, uh, in the borough, uh, because obviously they're his, his constituents as well. H- have people come to you as a councilman at, at where you have had to speak with them to say, OK, we're going to try and work on this and get it better? Where does it fall or does it fall on in your hands? No, 100%. So we've worked with, you know, uh, Rabbi Sperling, Rabbi Cohen, uh, Rabbi Potasnik, and I are actually um, taking a group of kids of Jewish descent to the Weeksville Heritage Center and taking a group of kids from uh, African-American and Caribbean descent uh, to the, the Jewish Museum. And the reason being is I think that people don't realize there are way more similarities between the two groups than there are differences. And the idea is that if you can understand someone's plight around the world and in this country, then you'd have a better understanding of who they are and you wouldn't do the things that you're doing. So I'm, first of all, I got to say on behalf of my community and what we've witnessed in terms of anti-Semitism, I'm appalled. And I'm, I'm amazed that a, a, a group of people, black people, who've had the experience that they've had in this country would perpetrate anything that would be demeaning and or biased and or, or bigot related to another demographic based on our own experience. So part of this is about an education, and I think our young people are devoid of understanding their existence in this country and in the world. And once they understand that better, 
I've been asked by the by by the religious or the ecumenical community, yo, Raw, what can you do to help? And I'm like, I gotta educate our young people to their own experience in this country because it's hard. You'd be hard pressed to have a solid understanding of where you stand in this country and around the world, and then perpetrate acts um, on someone else. And yep. I truly believe that. I believe so. It's an education process. It's an education about their own culture and their relationship to this country and other places. And it's also about um, understanding other people's culture and their relationship to this country and other places. So myself, I'm proud to, you know, I, I jokingly say that Rabbi Potasnik is my, is my rabbi. And he's um, a good friend of mine as well. He's a, he's, a, he's a very good guy. We've traveled to Israel together mm -hmm. on a couple of occasions and gotten to know each other really well. Um, this year, I was able to co-host with him at the Brooklyn Museum um, this this relationship between blacks and Jews through music, through Cab Calloway, and through you know a whole bunch of different people have been working at this for a long time. So we have a basis by which we have to just educate people about the the, the similarities and the relationship dating back decades. Um, and I think once people understand that, we have a better avenue. To bring us together. Well, you know, you you bring up a, a good point, and 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 the the big word that you're using is a better understanding, and and I think that's also how people are brought up. And I don't know, or, or maybe you can g give me a reason why it's different today. But I'll, I'll give you an example. And I was brought up in uh, housing projects in Sheepshead Bay. Okay. And, yep. uh, you know, it's the projects is the projects. Okay. Some are a little better than others. Some are worse than others, but projects is the projects. You know, you're not brought up on easy street. And I got to tell you, I'll give you an example. Uh, and I remembered it distinctly. First of all, we knew when I say we, let's say I'm okay. I'm Jewish. I knew what the other side was like. For example, if I had friends who, who weren't Jewish coming over to the house, uh, coming over to the house to the apartment, and they were gonna, uh, you know, have supper on on Friday night. My mother knew that no, we, okay, we can't have meat. Gotta gotta be fish because your friend or your friends went to catechism. Yeah. You knew that. And on the Jewish holidays, this I remember it distinctly. On the Jewish holidays, the kids that weren't Jewish, it didn't matter if they were black. It didn't matter if they were Italian, Irish. The kids that weren't Jewish, their parents would tell them, if you're going to play, you're not going to play in front of the building out of respect for the Jewish people. And if you're going to hang out in front of the building, you're going to dress properly. You know as well as I do, Robert Carnegie, that doesn't exist today. Yeah, and that's, that, that's, so that community... And the behavior within the community doesn't exist anymore. I, I Listen, I am the son of a Baptist minister and knew more about the uh, cultures and norms and values of the Jewish community because my father taught me that in order to have respect. But he also taught me to have respect for myself. And this is why I'm saying this education process. I love um, the, the rich heritage and culture of which I hail. So I could appreciate and love the rich culture of, you know, the Jewish community, of the Italian community. And you could have that interaction. I don't know what's happening right now where we're not teaching our young people respect for themselves first and then respect for other cultures. This is really something that that troubles me. So when we stood out yesterday, from the day before yesterday, in protest 
of what had happened to this young lady, it was the first time in a while I've seen the community behave as a community, which is one take responsibility and accountability for those actions. Yeah, which, I, to me, warmed my heart. That jumped out at me as well. I'll, I'll tell you, as bad as the situation was, you know what they say? Sometimes something good comes out of it. As bad as that situation was, and it was, it was just dreadful to watch. But but it was reassuring, as I said. When I heard Donna Howell talk and the other parents turning their kids in, I guarantee you. Well, maybe I should. Well, you know, I I can speak. Say I can guarantee because I know how Donna Howell felt. But the other parents, I'm sure they were like, like I'm sure those kids got an ass whooping when they got home, which is which is well deserved. Like you know the fact that. And so the funny thing was, at the rally, the police were nearby, but I said, this is, this is you know, we, we can't continue to use the police for responsibility and accountability in our communities. They have a role, right? They have a role mm-hmm. in order. They have a role in law. But there's a, there was the, you know, the, the, the and I'm reluctant to say it because I don't want any more violence, but there was a street justice component to the way we behaved when I was coming up. Yep. And that was way crossing that you know you had crossed the line tremendously if someone's sister had been inadvertently hurt in some kind of altercation there was literal hell to pay so not just the, now the now the acts are not even inadvertent they're being perpetrated directly and are targeted directly towards young people in in, in my day and time man that was not if you accidentally in a fight bump someone's sister and knock them down you had to be accountable for that. And that was an accident in a, in a, in a regular fight. Right. Yeah. No, now we, this is crazy. Yeah. No, listen, it, 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 it I, I was going to say it borders on insanity. No, it doesn't border on insanity. It, it is. It, it's crazy. It is insane. Let, let me ask you this. And again, uh, why I wanted you on, Councilman Cornegy, is because to me and anybody listening to you knows you have common sense. What is your attitude with this whole... L- listen, uh, I don't even know. I haven't discussed it with you, but, uh, you know, I- I'm disgusted with the city. I'm disgusted with the mayor. I'm disgusted with his wife. I, I pull no punches about that. Um, bail reform, the whole mess. W- what the hell is happening to our city? So, you know, you have to really, really love this city and demonstrate a love for the city and a willingness to listen to every demographic, every corner of the city. I think that the city needs to do a way better job at listening to what the needs are. We've spent so much attention looking at other things that are out external to our needs here that it has left the city feeling unprotected, uncared for, and I think that that's the sentiment that most people are getting. I, I, um, the administration has done uh, a less than stellar job in making people feel like this is their city. They, people feel like the city is literally slipping away from them based on some of the laws, based on some of the rules, and based on the attention that's been paying, that's not been paid to the detail of this city. It really, really hurts because uh, as someone who's had an opportunity to live abroad, all I ever wanted to do was get back to New York, which to me had a sense of normalcy, mm. right? Because of all the stuff that we talked about before. Now, it doesn't feel that way. This doesn't feel like 
you know, the city that I grew up in, it feels inauthentic. And the leadership, and our leadership is responsible for that. So whether it's the NYPD who doesn't feel as though that they're valued and the work that they do, which is a tremendous travesty because we have the greatest law enforcement uh, institution in the world, um, one of the largest. Um, you know, it has its challenges and there should be some reform. I'm, I'm clear on that. But overall, they feel disrespected. And that's, that's crazy. All they do for this city to protect the city of this size and for it to be one of the largest um, um, municipalities with the least amount of crime um, takes a great deal of work. And they should be celebrated for that. And they went through an administration where they thought that, you know, and they felt like I have people, I have friends and family in law enforcement, and there's just this idea that the city doesn't care for them. And I think it permeates every other institution in the city where it just feels like the city's being given away and there's not enough attention. And what I've learned is every man's perception, man and or woman's perception is their reality. So they've gone through a time and it hasn't really been corrected. No, let, let, listen, we, we've seen what, I mean, the police feel disrespected and um, understandably so. I mean, just going back to yeah, cops, I mean, cops are having water thrown on them. I mean, are you kidding me? In my day, me, you, hello, what, what are yeah. we talking about here? And, and you know, get, getting in, a, to me, you know, it was the same old thing. If a cop looked at you the wrong way, you just ran the other way. Right. You know, and, and, and you don't want to be afraid of cops. I'm, I'm not trying to, to say that, but yeah, the, I think you're right. The disrespect uh, is, it's, it's all over the place and, and it's got to be, it's got to be fixed. So let me ask you this. I, I, and I pulled no punches, you know, at the open, you heard it. Um, you know, you're going to run, you, you put your hat into the ring, you, you're going to run for Brooklyn borough president. Um, what's your ultimate goal to do in Brooklyn? To make Brooklyn affordable for people who pave the way. Brooklyn is incredibly sexy right now. Everybody all over the world wants to be a part of Brooklyn and its communities from Bay Ridge to Bed-Stuy. And what we're finding is that there's an affordability crisis, right, first and foremost. But people aren't being as nuanced with it and looking at it correctly. We're not losing my, – my district, for example, we're not losing poor people. I'm losing the middle class. If, you're, if, you're, if, the, if, the, if, the, if one of the members of the family is a police officer and the other is a nurse, there's no place for you. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you're a retired school teacher who worked really hard and who's, gotten, who's getting a decent pension, there's no place for you. So I have 21 housing developments and or you know, projects in my district. And I'm not saying that everybody who lives below the poverty line should be relegated to the projects, but we have programs that are available for people who live at a certain level. We have nothing for the middle class. There is nothing available if you have busted your behind to go to school. I'm sending my kids to, to around the world to be educated in some of the finest institutions. The reality is when they return back to Bedford Stuyvesant, the likelihood that they'll be able to be out on their own, whether it is owning a home or whether it is renting, is slim to none. That is a ridiculous proposition that we ask people to do their best, to be the best and the brightest to represent this city and this borough, and then we don't protect them to be able to stay in this city and in particular in this borough. So my main, I have a major focus of using the borough president's office and the capital budget to help shape communities 
to be affordable and that we don't have a tale of two cities. Right now in my district, I got a tale of two districts. Either if you're, if you're living in abstract poverty, there are programs that assist you to stay where you are. And if, you ha- if you're in the 1%, you don't care. Everybody in the middle is screwed yeah. for themselves. And that's in every community. I talked to my friend Justin Brennan over in Bay Ridge. It's the same. I talked to my friends over in Canarsie, Mark Trago over in Canarsie. It's the same. So the, the, the fact that the city can't get their act together in order to protect the very citizens that carry the tax base, that patronize our small businesses, is crazy to me that they have to move to Long Island or to, the, or to Westchester or to Pennsylvania even. We have civil service workers who commute every single day from Pennsylvania. There's a whole industry of bus companies that deliver those uh, residents back into our city because they can't afford to live in the city. Yeah, I, I know another topic that, that really uh, burns your ass, I'll, I'll say it that way, and, and, and same deal, I, I know uh, you've been active with it. I know uh, the current borough president, who's going to run for mayor, um, Eric Adams, has been active in it as well. You, you have this ugly situation of people being... Uh, screwed or almost not almost having their homes robbed when i say robbed i, I mean the mortgages and and k- kind of being pushed out under fraudulent conditions and how do you uh defend against that so we, we, we have an ugly three-leg stool which is third-party transfer which is the city's program that has been responsible for transferring people's properties to nonprofit entities you have deed theft and deed fraud, which is outright stealing people's homes. There are people who sit at uh, downtown uh, at, the, at the Hall of Records and comb through people's deeds in order to perpetrate fraud and, and, and actually signing people's deeds over. You can tell the age of a deed and who the homeowner may be, generally a senior, um, and having people evicted from their homes by stealing their deed. And it's actually more difficult to get your home back after someone has perpetrated that crime than it is to protect against it. And then there's the use of the lien sale to move people out of their homes. So we have asked for federal intervention, and we're getting it. So uh, both the uh, attorney general, who is from Central Brooklyn, Tish James, as well as the district attorney, Eric Gonzalez, and the sheriff's department, in addition now to adding Hakeem Jeffries and federal intervention um, so that we can stop these crimes as they happen. I'm, I'm um, working with, or work, I don't want to say against, I have new laws in that will protect homeowners as far as the third-party transfer program is concerned. So that'll, that program will never be the same, but I'm not satisfied with that. I think we need to go back. We're in round 10 of third-party transfer. There are people in the first nine rounds who literally lost their homes and who have been displaced. We need to view, review every single one of those cases dating back to the 80s. And, and make restitution where it's necessary. Y- y- there y- is some argument that that program is unconstitutional, and we're fighting to make sure that it is that it meets the needs of, of residents. You know, some people listening to this might not understand how this can happen. You know, for, for example, you know, you're an older person. You've been living where you're living in your home for X amount of years. And, you know, uh, it's reached a point, fortunately, where now it's, you know, can be really worth something to you. How, how did, did they just get hoodwinked? Like, for example, you're an old 
African-American couple. You've been living there for God knows how many years. Does somebody come in, uh, let's say, an also African-American because they're trying to win your confidence over, schmoozing you, talking sweet and this and that, and, and hoodwinking you into signing something? Is, is that how it happens? Is that the, as simple as that? Well, that's one level of it. Then there's also a family who does it. So you got a distant cousin who comes yeah. and realizes. <laughs> so, so some of it's family. I, I got to be brutally honest. There, we've seen those cases where someone has mm. taken out another mortgage, forged the person's signature. The house is paid for. So, for example, my parents' home was purchased in the '70s for let's say twenty grand, and now it's worth three million dollars. So you have that amount of equity. A family member comes from out of state stays with them for a little while, uh, gets some paperwork or documents, and tells them it's whatever, and has them sign it. These people are 80, 90 years old. They sign it, and it's a second mortgage. So it's a mortgage for $200,000, $300,000. They have no intention on paying the mortgage. They walk away from it, and before that person knows it, their house is in foreclosure because oh. they haven't paid the mortgage. Then there are the people who... Um, so what happens is most people um, didn't have their... Uh, taxes included in their mortgage, right? Right. Or, no, I'm sorry, or did have their taxes included in their mortgage. When the mortgage is paid off, they can t- they don't continue to pay the taxes because they never paid the taxes because it was included in the mortgage. That was a deal they brokered in the mortgage. Now, the, the, the tax gets in arrears. So somebody comes in and says, oh my God, you got $100,000 in taxes. I'll help you. Just sign the house over to me and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll erase the, the, the debt and then we'll give it back to you for a small fee. They never give the house back. And on paper, you signed the house over, so it's hard to argue that in court. Your documents say that. Now, you may not have been of total understanding of the legal ramifications of doing that. So there's, there's all of that is happening right now as we speak. And it all conspires, in particular, to separate African Americans from home ownership, which has been one of the pathways to the middle class has been through the 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 um act, the, through acquiring equity within your property. Sure. Yeah. And and so so people understand that. I just told you imagine you're sitting on let's just say conservatively 1.5 million dollars in equity. There's literally the joke is in Bedford-Stuyvesant and Crown Heights there's literally gold in Demnar Hills. <laughs> Meaning we have the most equity per capita than any place in the world because of the increased prop, you know, uh, of value in properties, because of gentrification. People have quadrupled their equity in their homes in very short periods of time. That's tremendous. What, what did you say? You, you, your, your, your folks bought their house for what, what was it, 20000 yeah, probably less than that. Eight, between eighteen and twenty thousand in the seventies, and, and, and it's it's worth now like three million dollars. God bless three million, three, three million dollars. Hey, as you said before, from your mouth uh, to God's ears. Listen, uh, Councilman Carnegie, um, as I opened up, it's becoming more and more uncommon to find a politician with common sense. I find it especially in New York City. That's not labeling everybody, but a great many starting at the top. But uh, you do. Uh, That's why I I said it, folks. Um, um, I I can't, I can no longer vote because I don't live there any longer. But uh, Robert Carnegie should be 
the next Brooklyn Borough president. I, I hope it happens. Now, before I let you go, I also did mention that um, you're in the Guinness Book of Records, but you used to be the tallest at 6'10". From what I'm understanding, you're now like second tallest by Miller millimeters or milliliters, whatever the hell it is. You know, I'm, uh, you know, even though I went to Brooklyn Tech, my math's no longer the best. So who's that? Who's taller than you now at 6'10"? Yeah, there's some guy in Nebraska somewhere who has <laughs> a, a little, I'd never even heard of the position that he holds, with all due respect to him, uh, an elected position um, and challenged it. My team wanted me to go there and meet with him and challenge it, but I, I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't you know, I, I love representing <laughs> this city and this borough in that way we are the greatest and we have the biggest heart and we have so we joke and say it takes uh the biggest person to lead the biggest borough so in most people's hearts they don't even know of the existence of the change people are always shocked when i tell them no i you know the guinness book for 2020 has this young man right uh uh and people are like well you'll always be the people's champ so well that I, i'll take that that that's for sure for folks who don't under uh, realize it uh robert carnegie was uh a, a, a center on the um 84 85 um st john's team uh with louis condesecca who went to the final four am i correct you are correct i just actually had um I had the opportunity to celebrate uh, Louis' 94th birthday uh, out in Bay Ridge. And he's still as sharp as ever. Um, he's a legend. He's obviously, you know, one of the people who's, who's been incredibly influential in my life, who helped me uh, not only through basketball, but to help me be a, a good quality young man. And that was his main focus. So I will always be appreciative to my experience at St. John's. And by the way, we did go to the Final Four, so it wasn't it wasn't all about it, it, it wasn't all about basketball, but it was about basketball. That was one of the greatest teams in most people's memory to ever come out of uh, St. John's. And it was primarily because I think everybody on that team was from the tri-state area. Yeah, you know, the, First the, time in history. The last time I spoke to Louie, I guess it was a, a, a few years ago, and, you know, um, he was 90, I think 91 at the time. Now you say he's 94. And, and I walked away. He was as sharp as a tack. And I always used to say this. I would always say this way back. Uh, I'm going back 30 years. If if I had a kid who was playing basketball and, you know, recruits come to the house, um, he might not have been the best coach, although he was a very good coach. Mm-hmm. But, but, but Louis Conoseca would walk out with my kid because he just... He was like you. He wasn't full of crap. He talked straight with a great deal of common sense. And uh, you, you know what? Uh, you know, c- common sense just, it, it sounds crazy, but common sense today seems to be in, in short supply. Uh, the only thing that I would ask you be- before we sign off, be- because you're a straight shooter, and, and I kept thinking about this all through our conversation here, you know, I don't know that you would like the politics of politics. So how are you going to deal with that? Because, um, you know, um, I'm hoping you become Brooklyn Borough President and I'm hoping it goes on from there. But how does a guy like you deal with the BS that goes with politics? Russ, that is a struggle that I struggle with every single day. I didn't get in here to be a politician I'm a, I'm a humble public servant, and, I'm, and, and I, I, I relish the idea that I can carry people's voices and help them make a difference in their lives. The politics of it is a grind. 
Um, I, I, you know, some days I look at my, you know, I have to have positive affirmations every morning that in order for me to serve and to be a public servant, I have to be in office. And I remind myself of that and I wave it to, and then I do what's necessary to continue to serve. But service is, is my first inclination, but you don't get to do that without playing some of uh, what the politics is. And it's, and it's nasty and it's ugly. I've had a chance to do the speaker's race and do a whole bunch of different things, see behind the curtain, and it's, it's, not, it's not pretty. So, but I'm encouraged every, every day when I can get the support of people like yourself and, and other decision makers around the city who want someone to continue that fight on their behalf with good common sense. And by the way, my grandmother was the first person I ever heard say that common sense is in common. Yep. A- a- amen to that. Well, l- listen, um, I'm encouraged. I'm glad I'm encouraging you because you're encouraging me. So one hand watches the other. And uh, Robert Carnegie, uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we want you to be the next Brooklyn Borough president. Uh, we, we think you're terrific. Your common sense, I think, needs to wear off on a rub off, I should say, on on the people of Brooklyn and the city of New York. So, again, thanks so much for being here, Robert. Thank you, Russ. I'm in this for the I'm in this for the long haul. Yeah, and you're also in it to win it. Well, my thank you to Robert Carnegie. That's a wrap here on today's show, folks. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know what your thoughts are on today's conversation that I had with Councilman Carnegie. You can tell me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg, on Facebook. You can also check out my website, russsalzberg.com. I thank to the big man across the way, Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, who takes such good care of me here. To my 77 WABC program director, Dave LaBrosi, and his outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl. And last but certainly not least, you the people out there, a great big thank you to you. Because without you the people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is Ira Salzberg saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.